You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I want to be a producer with a hit show on Broadway. You're listening to the Producers Perspective Podcast with your host, Tony Award winner, Ken Davenport. Hey everybody, Ken Davenport here with this week's podcast with Sean Circoni of Broadway Licensing. He's going to tell you about how to get your show licensed, what's working best in the licensing market. Did you know, by the way, there are over 50,000 high schools out there? It's a lot of productions of Oklahoma and Legally Blonde we're talking. So it's a big market, big subject. We'll get to it in a few moments. Until then... I'm going to tell you who sponsored this week's podcast, and it is, oh my God, my mouth just started watering right now. I just looked at the copy line I'm supposed to read to you, and it's like drool, drool, drool. This week's podcast brought to you by Schmackeries. Drool along with me now. Schmackeries, the Broadway cookie shop with over 76, drool again, flavors to choose from. That's right, 76 flavors to choose from. If you haven't had a Schmackery's cookie, you have not lived. I mean, these things, they're like meals unto themselves. Schmackery's cookies, great gifts, by the way. Um, our favorite people in the world send us Schmackery's cookies on holidays. Um, we love people who send us that stuff. We get them a lot. They're great gifts. We send them to a lot of people. They're located on 45th Street, uh, just close to 9th Avenue between 8th and 9th, right next to the former Davenport Theater uh, in memoriam. Uh, right there, Schmackery's. Go get a Schmackery's cookie. You will love it, I promise. Their coffee's pretty good, too. Uh, and now, on with the podcast. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, it's Ken. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, and I hope it's pulling back the curtain on this business of Broadway. If you're looking to learn more about what makes this industry tick, go to my website, kendavenport.com, and sign up for my weekly newsletter. I'll send you one email a week, one article about what I'm seeing, trends, insights, marketing ideas on what's happening on Broadway right now. That's kendavenport.com. Hope to see you there and in your inbox.
Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Producers Perspective podcast. My name is Ken Davenport, uh, and today we're talking downstream revenue for Broadway shows. That's right. Welcome to the world of licensing. Please welcome to the podcast the president of the aptly named Broadway Licensing, Sean Circone. Welcome, Sean. Thanks, Ken. Love being here. So, Broadway Licensing, Sean's company, is the newest licensing house on the block. Uh, Sean comes to it after his time with theatrical rights worldwide, where he oversaw the acquisition of such titles as Jersey Boys, Adam's Family, Million Dollar Quartet, and a lot more. Uh, And interestingly enough, we're going to get into this, he helped redevelop some titles for the licensing marketing uh, market, including Ghost, Big Fish, and many, many others. At Broadway Licensing, they are buying shows like crazy. They've got a Bronx Tale, Escape to Margaritaville, and they've got my own Getting the Band Back Together, as well as some original material as well. So let's start, uh, Sean. How how'd you get into the licensing world? Did you always dream as a little kid one day I'm going to license musical theater titles to high schools around the world? Absolutely, that was that was the goal. Every kid dreams of being a, uh, a licensing representative. Uh, no, I, I I came to it by way of. Of uh, kind of happenstance, um, I've moved through the kind of theatrical landscape uh, of America from going to school. Um, I went to school for undergrad at a small college called Frostburg State University. I went to my MFA at West Virginia University, and then shortly thereafter, I was um, got a job as the producing artistic director at the Carousel Dinner Theater. Ooh, in Akron, Ohio. In Akron, Ohio, the, the bustling metropolis thereof. The tire capital of the world, if I remember correctly. Exactly I did a couple right. stints uh, of shows there. Uh, we won't talk about those. What was your undergrad and MFA in? Sure, in acting and in directing. Great. Uh, but all the time I was always kind of producing my own work. Uh, and, and so the first kind of experience I had with licensing was as a artistic director and at the carousel and licensing, whether it was Oklahoma or the music man and working with RNH and Tam Whitmark and Sam French. So that was kind of my first foray into understanding it, but understanding it from a customer perspective. So let's talk about that. Cause that's, what's so fascinating and why I wanted you on this podcast, because you've worked on both sides of it as the customer. And of course, now you're selling to those same people. So when you were a customer, what was the most important thing for you when you thought about titles to license? The title itself, right? So we would put our season together. We knew what slots that we had. We knew what the makeup of the shows that had to fit in a certain slot, whether it was our summer show, whether it was our big educational show during spring that was going to bring a lot of bus groups in. And so we had kind of a formula of, the, of what the season planning needed to be. Then we knew and we had these conversations with R&H, with Sam French, with TRW, uh, as to what shows might fit those slots and what might be coming available. And as to everybody knows from the, from the regional theater perspective, it's always a waiting game of what's restricted in your market and what you're waiting to roll out. Let's so, talk about that a yeah, little sure. bit because some of our listeners may not know, uh, the restrictions involved are because either the Broadway show is still running or a tour. Or- exactly correct. The, the traditional, I, I call it trickle-down economics. Um, Broadway into licensing and it moves into the regional theaters in a traditional trickle-down economics model, whereas the Broadway production continues to run, it sends out its tour, and at that point in time, the show is fully restricted for licensing for, for the 1,800 or so professional theaters across North America, um, the 7,000 community theaters, the 50,000 high schools. Once the Broadway show wraps up, 
the tour begins to wind down, those restrictions start to get lifted in certain markets, and every regional theater is waiting to be the first one in their particular market to license that next version of the show, the non-replica version of the show. So in the case of something we were waiting for for a long time was White Christmas. When that finally was released, we were the first in the position in Northeast Ohio to be able to license that production. And what gave you... The first position. Sure. Why were you first? Uh, absolutely. It's great. So part of it's relationships and building a relationship with the licensing companies. And then also a part of it is the value of your organization, the amount of revenue that you're going to bring to the authors and to the uh, underlying rights holders. Right. Of course, the people that can deliver the biggest royalty checks to the licensing house, authors, etc. win for the most exactly, part. Exactly. For the most part. That's right. And, and so we would always be having these conversations come springtime when we were looking at what the following season would be. Say, what in your reading the tea leaves might be released at this time next year? Should we wait and hold? And that was kind of my first understanding uh, from a pain point perspective of programming and trying to figure out, okay, how can I work with the licensing companies um, to better make this happen uh, for our organization and get the titles that we're looking for? Wow, I never thought about it from that perspective. So you were waiting in a way like, oh, maybe Phantom of the Opera will be released next year. I'm going to wait till the very last second so I can change out the art in my catalog or my subscription. And many, many times and many, many theater organizations actually do wait to the last second, if not past the last second, to wait for that one unique title that they've been waiting for uh, to be unrestricted for a long time. Okay, I'm going to get to the controversial topic right away. We're only halfway through your story, but we're going to go right to it. And because it's very timely, because Be More Chill, which just started previews last night as of the date of this recording session, also announced that they were going to release the rights or allow theaters, some theaters around the country to do this simultaneously while the Broadway production is still running before a tour. Do you believe that shows should release their rights to theaters around the country quicker than they have been. There's been a fear. Producers, no, 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 we can't have Main State Music Theater or Carousel Dinner Theater do the show because it's going to take away from the touring audience or the Broadway audience even. Do you agree with that? It's dependent upon the show and dependent upon the case. I would say primarily from an educational standpoint, the high school market is the one that I think more times than not, people look to is, is that a possible market to release? And is there certain individualized markets within the high school market that could be released? Not necessarily professional productions. I think believe professional productions, they do want to restrict those because they want to protect their touring capacity. They want to be able to move the show from a Broadway production into a replica national tour, which is actually in the best scenario for the licensing companies and all the underlying rights holders as well, because the Broadway tours is actually probably seen by more people than the individualized Broadway production. So in a strange way, would you rather have to wait two years to get your hands on a, like, say you make a deal with me, you know, I've got the next Wicked, it opens and you have a choice. You can get it right away. Or you can get it in two years after it does two years of national touring. Which would you take? From a licensing perspective or from a uh, theater 
artistic director perspective. From the licensing perspective. From the licensing perspective, the national tour is, is the best uh, marketing tool that we as a licensing company have. Uh, not just the Broadway production, but then it moves into all those individualized markets and all the marketing dollars that get put out behind it. Because we, we firmly be, believe that the best way to sell a show is for somebody actually to, to see the show, right? There is, everybody is a producer, okay? Even all the way down to your local high school theater uh, teacher. They are the producer of that show at the high school. And there is one rule of producing that I firmly stand behind is that everybody walks into a show and says, oh my gosh, that was amazing. But when I do it, and that, but when I do it, that's the key to licensing because that gives people the creative impetus to say, oh my gosh, I can't wait to put my own kind of creative uh, stamp and my own creativity behind this story, behind, uh, you know, the book, music and lyrics of this particular musical. So the national tour thereby gets more people in the door to say, yeah, but when I do it, and that's, we try to help that when a tour goes out, we actually work with the tour producers to try to use our licensees, whether it's the community theater artistic directors or the local high school teachers to get them in and partner and get them tickets so they can get into those seats and be exposed to that show. Okay, so let's go back to your trajectory. Sorry, sure, no, it's fine. It's a digression, but I'm fascinated by this subject. Uh, okay, and I love so, jumping into controversy. That's wonderful. Yeah, of course. Uh, so you're at Carousel. You're artistic director. You're licensing uh, titles left and right. How do how does the positions get switched for you? Sure. So um, <clears throat> shortly thereafter. Uh, I had a great opportunity to work in Chicago for a couple of years, working on new musical development. And then I uh, decided uh, I'm from New York to come back to New York. Um, uh, we were getting ready to start a family, my wife and I, and a position opened at Theatrical Rights Worldwide. I had known Steve Spiegel for a number of years from licensing. From, from getting him. titles. From that's, that's right. Uh, and the timing worked out uh, where I became the Director of Professional and International Licensing for TRW. And... Talk a little bit about what your day-to-day job is when you're at Broadway licensing. What do you do mostly? Sure. sure. So, so primarily we look at the, the global world and, and we break it down into different markets. So we can take the North American market. And as I spoke a little bit before, let's say there's 1800 professional theaters, about 7,000 community theaters and 50,000 high school productions a year. We take those and break them down into individualized, whether it's state markets or city markets like Denver. And we try to maximize the value of each one of our shows in those markets, right? So our unique kind of proposition, the way we philosophically come at it, I think is, is uh, kind of a byproduct of my background in, in this industry. It really is from a producerial perspective, right? We want to be the best producing partners for those regional theaters that we can possibly be. It's not just a transactional one-way license. It's not, hey, here's the book, music, and lyrics, and we're the copyright police, right? We want to be there because we are the, the organization and the team of people who are now moving on with this show and, and being the good stewards of the show. And we're for the authors and for the producers and then the underlying rights holders. So anything that we can do from a marketing perspective, from a pain point solve perspective, whether it comes down to casting issues, whether it comes down to marketing assets, anything that we can do to help the theater um, and make it easier for them for to produce the show and also sell more tickets is in the best interest of the show, much like any producer. 
So let's talk about those pain points because, of course, that is classic marketing. Release one of your customers' pain points, heal that pain, and you should do more business. So imagine you have all the Broadway producers in a room. What is the number one pain point that you could tell us that would make your job easier and would make more licenses fly off the shelf? I'd say it's marketing assets, right? So one of the things that we've we've recently figured out is that there's a huge pain point at the high school level when it comes to marketing and social media. And when you think it through, you're like, oh yeah, of course, because teachers are kind of reticent to use social media in, in general, right? Because it's kind of a slippery slope. And there's lots of different policies uh, in different school districts that, that make this kind of uh, challenging water for them to navigate. So we have begun to work with producers such as yourself to figure out how can we put together a, a easy play package of marketing materials that literally give them social media posts, whether it's their Facebook posts, their Twitter posts, what those posts should be, all the digital assets that come along with it, um, what the timing of those posts should be. So that way they can go give that to a student and the student can then manage it or they can manage it themselves. But it's something that's a pre-approved marketing um, directive. And so, so that's a, a huge hurdle to get over because from the getting the word out on your show is one of the most challenging things, I think, whether it's Broadway or it's Akron High School. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about the logo itself. We talk about assets because sometimes I go back and forth on this. I started with my first shows really wanting to insist that everyone used my art from New York because I'm a big believer in the McDonald Arches theory that the more times people see that Alter Boys van or my first time or any of the early stuff that I did, that it will help market that property, right? Do you agree with that? And do you think all productions from high school on up would best serve the property if they use the same art? Sure. I, I think uh, – I do believe that keeping the brand consistent is very important. However, there is the caveat to understand that we don't know what works in every single market, right? So that's why marketing directors at regional theaters are, are so incredibly uh, important in communicating with their audiences. And the, and the artistic director at the theater is so important in communicating the art to their audiences, right? They should know their audiences and they do uh, better than we do. So we try to be insistent on we want to keep the brand, but we also understand if you need to deviate or you decide to deviate because you think it's in the best interest of selling the show in your market, that's fine. We just want to make sure we have approval over what it is that you're deciding to do so we can keep it kind of brand consistent. What are the shows that work best in the licensing market? If there were three characteristics of the best performing shows, what would they be? Sure. Um, well, Broadway hits help, right? Even when they're challenging material, does that trump all if it wins a Tony? And I would say that the Tony doesn't necessarily totally translate into licensing bonanza, right? Uh, I think, Broadway brand and long, long-term staying power on Broadway definitely helps because it's definitely, it's the marketing and, and it's the quality of the show, right? And, and so no matter what your subjective, um, opinion is about any given show, the fact that it lasts for 10, 15, 20 years on Broadway, right? It speaks volumes to it. 
Um, so, so I think the first thing is, is the branding and the national touring and the ongoing rollout of what that intellectual property is. The second is obviously it's, you know, there's a, a huge component of female roles that, that, um, I think high school teachers are looking for, uh, in the amateur market. Um, and I also say things that play cross market. Right. Things that have, that are, have universal appeal. Those are the shows that we're looking for. Those are the things that we're, we're, uh, looking to license. And then at the end of the day, there is this kind of gut check of, is it a really good story to tell? Tell? Is it a compelling story? Right. Because if it's a compelling story and we want to sit and watch this story unfold in the theater, then it's probably a pretty good chance everybody else does too. What's been the biggest surprise licensing to, uh, title for you? Something that you were like, oh, this will be okay, that has just totally exceeded your expectations? Uh, absolutely. I, I would say uh, we, we're very proud to represent Head Over Heels. And um, recently, uh, I mean, we just released it, I guess, maybe about a month ago or six weeks ago, and it is just taken off like wildfire in licensing. Um, and, and I was very surprised and, and happily surprised because I thought it was really a well done, well written show. Um, and, and, you know, the distribution of it, I think is going to have a much bigger, longer lasting life than it, than it did on Broadway. So we're, we're going to be very proud of that. And are there specific reasons you think that is right now? The timeliness of that subject? The Yeah. You know, I, th it's really interesting. I think that the the content of the show and the timeliness of the subject is something that people are looking for, but also in how the content's handled and how the subject matter is handled. You know, the, the book is very smartly written, um, and and how that content is is um, how that story is told, and the distance that it gives gives a almost a safety point. I think from from an for an audience's perspective to look at that story in the same way that you look at a Shakespeare play, right? There is this kind of sense of distance, but that you can also kind of glean what, what the authors are trying to say. And I, and I think that's a, uh, a testament to the writing. And, and I think the reason why it's, it's really taken off in licensing is because that, that there's a community who, who wants to be able to do theater that matters and, and do stories that are timely. And this is a way that they feel they're able to do so in a safe manner. And having the Go-Go's music. And having the Go-Go's music, that absolutely helps. So let's talk a little bit about Jukebox musicals a bit. Because, well, let me just start with, with this. It's definitely a leading question now. Can shows be licensed and be successful in the licensing market that don't play New York at all? Great question. Um, so one of the things that we've continued to explore and began to begin to roll out is uh, our own development arm. And some of the challenges, maybe that that's a great way to relate into it. One of the, you know, the biggest challenges here on Broadway is real estate. Right. Oh, that question's coming up. So look, you jump <laughs> to it. I love it. So uh, you know, there, there's only a, a limited number of theater. I think it's 42 Broadway theaters um, that are available. You know, and and fewer each and every season. And so I'm sure you know these numbers like the back of your hand. Fortunately, I do. It's like <laughs> right. every year one less theater that I can get for a show. Exactly correct. And and so and the list uh, of shows waiting for a theater becomes longer and longer and longer. 
And so it begs the question of what happens uh, when those shows don't um, aren't able to get a theater. What happens to them? Doesn't necessarily mean subjectively that they're not worthy. Um, you know, things sometimes just don't particularly work out. So that's something that we're looking at. But then also, as I discussed before, we we, we have this trickle down economics. But is there a prime the pump economics? Is there a way to to look at this this vastness of global distribution, right? There's the U.S. market, the U.K. market's about 25% size of the North America market. Australia and New Zealand's about 15% of that size. Um, Asia's coming online very quickly. And so you have this vast global market. Can we kind of use the Netflix originals idea and say, hey, we have all this information, all this market data, all this understanding of what's happening in the distribution of Broadway musicals. How do we take that and potentially begin to build things that can move into that distribution pipeline? Right. And so we've begun that process. Um, we uh, started a few years ago with a show called Emma, a pop musical, um, which was based on uh, Jane Austen's Emma, uh, which is in public domain. And we began to pair that with different jukebox songs. Um, we hired a writing team, um, much like any other producer, and we began down the development path. Um, at this point in time, uh, our, we have a formalized company called Stageworks Media, and we have about seven different shows in development. Um, this past year, uh, we worked with a company called Beyond International, uh, where we were able to work with them and secure the rights to the Beatles catalog. Um, Never heard of them. Yeah. Yeah. They, they wow, might be going somewhere after the show is. that we did. That's fantastic. So what did you do with that catalog? Uh, so we, along with a Netflix animated series called Beat Bugs, created by Josh Weekly, and we created a um, family show, a TYA show, uh, that was based on that, uh, the two seasons of that series, and we moved out into distribution. We went through all the similar development processes, whether it's from writing first draft, uh, second draft, 29-hour read test production, and we worked with our regional producing partners. There's a great theater up in Connecticut called Pantachino um, that we did the world premiere of it there. And, and then we released it out into licensing. Um, it's been so far so successful. We also have launched a what we call a JV version of it, which is um, junior varsity, direct for middle schools. Um, and now that show is moving out into a licensing universe. So we believe that there is a way to create content that doesn't necessarily have to play Broadway, but that moves out into licensing and, and has a very good life among American theater. I love this comparison to the Netflix model because that's exactly what it is. It is exactly what it is. It's Just, Netflix originals. Yeah, that's incredible. And obviously so far, the titles that you've put out into the world have pre-existing catalogs or using that brand. Do you think it's eventually possible for an original musical if we get so crowded here? Because your markets want the new stuff, right? They do. They can't do Oklahoma again and again and again and again. So they're looking for new content too. They just did last year's new stuff or whatever trickles down. Correct. And if we fill our theaters with the long-running hits, there's less new stuff every year. So will do you think they will license new musicals with original scores as well eventually? Or do you think, no, they'd rather do Oklahoma? I, I do think that they, they will begin to license new content. The question that remains to be seen is 
will they license a wholly original new musical, right? Because we, we put things in buckets, right, as producers. We say, okay, this is an original musical, but it's based on, right, an underlying work. It's a book. But then if it's an original musical based on a catalog on music, it's a jukebox musical, but it's an original musical, right? And so, like, we have the, we have these terminologies that we kind of put these, these things in these buckets. I, I, they're always, much like any producer, I think everybody's always looking to anchor their show with some sort of concept. And I think it comes down to marketing, right? How do I explain what it is, right? What do I tell people what it is? Sure, the Beatles are a really easy hook. It's a Beatles family musical. Great. I can tell people what it is. They are, okay, I got, got what that is. It's about five bugs in the backyard. Easy, right? So, however, if it's in a wholly original musical with a wholly original score and it needs, you know, more, more, uh, explanation as to what exactly it is, that becomes challenging from a marketing perspective, no matter if you are doing trickle down economics or prime the pump. And obviously it, it works better when they able to see a show. So they come to New York, they see a show if it's running here and then they want to license it. It makes total sense. Do you think video will help this at all? Do, are you finding that either shows with shorter runs on Broadway, you can send a theater in Louisville, Kentucky, like, Oh, but there's Broadway HD for you to check out daddy long legs or, Oh, it was done on PBS or does do you think that model is helping? Or Absolutely, will help? I do think it will help. Much in the way that the the cast album used to be the go to, I think now more and more uh, licensees are craving the video, right? And we've all known that there was always the the archival um, bootleg that people had that they didn't have, right? So that was always floating out there into regional theaters for for years. Um, so, and, and that just shows that people actually want to see it, right? They want to see how does it live on stage, even if it's from, you know, we all know it's not the same thing watching it on TV. We, like, we get it. It's the same thing. Whether you're going to the baseball game, you're going to the football game, right? Watching it on TV is a different experience than actually being at the stadium, right? However, there is the representation of how does this, this piece function? And I think that's why people crave the crave the kind of the video of whether it's Broadway HD or that age old bootleg DVD um, that that people had uh, to be able to see it on stage and actually see how it worked and see how the audience reacted to it. It may not be the same unless you have the audience track right because you want to feel and hear that communal engagement from the audience with the piece. We talked about the pain points of the theaters around the country. What's your biggest pain point oh. as a licensor now? Sure. Um, that's a great question. I think our biggest pain point is clearly communicating to the marketplace Shows that we feel, for whatever reason, we feel are really beautiful pieces of theater that don't get a long, substantial run on Broadway or don't don't get a national tour. I think that's that's the biggest pain point that we have. Um, 
the the ability to try to get them into the hands of the right producers and and try to um, get the show um, moving forward into distribution is kind of the biggest challenge uh, that we have is to communicate why the show was so viable to make it to Broadway in the first place, but then for some reason it it has this perspective of losing steam, right? And so we spend a lot of energy on making sure that each individual show gets an opportunity to get into the hands of those artistic directors or those community theater um, executive directors or the high school theater teachers. So that way they would, they, they consider it for their season when it's not the number one show that they're looking to do. Right. So, so we spend a lot of time on the phone and building those relationships and building trust with, with our licensees. So that way, when we recommend something to them, they know that it's it's not going to be a waste of their time. It's absolutely something that that they should consider and that they should look at, um, and that is a, a time consuming and very worthwhile process that that we spend a lot of time discussing internally. How has the licensing business changed since you started? Well, uh, <laughs> that's again the biggest change. Yeah, the biggest, biggest change is that there's been a huge consolidation. Um, oh yeah, very recent. Very right? recent, big, big consolidation. Um, I mean, MTI continues to be an incredible gold standard for what they do with musicals, uh, you know, and, and their Disney relationship and their relationships uh, with Cameron and all, all the amazing shows that they have um, and the history that they have. Um, and, uh, you know, the musical company, which now is Concord Theatricals and Sean Flavin has done an incredible job um, rolling out the, initially the first company. Um, I believe with the rug titles and then acquiring R&H and acquiring Tams Whitmark and acquiring Sam French, uh, which moves on to the, to the play. A lot of acquiring. Market, a lot of acquiring going on, uh, you know, and, and they've done a tre- tremendous job. Um, you know, TRW continues to be a, a great home for the titles that they have. And, and very recently, you know, we've come on to the, to the scene, uh, in the last two and a half years. And um, we've built Broadway licensing uh, off a, a previous company called PlayScripts. Um, and now we're being very competitive. So once where there was, I believe, eight or nine different, you know, licensing uh, companies for Broadway musicals, it's pretty much now been narrowed down to four. Um, and so that's that's the biggest change that's happened internally um, uh, for, for the industry, I'd say. And what about just in the day-to-day running of the businesses themselves or how you deal with clients or materials or the other biggest change you see? Yeah, I think that, I think that what's happening, there's a change from the, from the producers. I think there's a, a lot more conversations now that are happening about, about this partnering and partnering with producers such as yourself. Uh, on how do we move title and how do we collectively continue to work that show long beyond its Broadway life. Um, we're having much more conversations about getting involved earlier, um, whether that's um, investing in a show or being part of the development process um, and coming out to it with, with a very unique set of uh, skills and a very unique viewpoint um, for the worldwide distribution uh, of the subsidiary rights. And so those conversations are, are very exciting and kind of changes that are happening for us. It's no longer uh, an afterthought um, in the marketplace. And then from, from the um, perspective of the licensees, I think some of the stuff that, that's happening is, you know, the political climate and the social climate 
always is a um, is a touch point as to what the content of a show uh, holds, and so you're seeing um, uh, organizations take huge leaps and huge risks because they want to engage in, in these stories and engage in these issues. And it's very exciting to see, you know, the landscape of the American theater take those big steps. Um, you know, we get to see it uh, uh, on, a, on a daily basis because we see the type of stuff that's getting licensed, right? And, and we see that the, the art uh, what's being created right now is moving out into that landscape that we've all worked our ways through and we all have worked, you know, to be a part of and how that's going to resonate as the art of our time. Right. And so that to me is, is the choices of, of content that's being licensed um, is very exciting. And, and I think the social relevance of it is the thing that's changing quickly. Okay. My last question, which is my genie question I want you to imagine that Genie from Aladdin comes to visit you and grants you one wish. So what's the one thing about the industry, Broadway, that you would ask this Genie to wish away? The thing that drives you nuts, the things that makes you angry, the one thing you'd want this Genie to change that would instantly make your world better? I think the I would make the Genie wish away rooting against shows. That's the one thing I think from, from a collaborative perspective in the industry, I, I really uh, think that, that we all, uh, we all could do a better job of rooting for every piece of art and every piece of, uh, and every musical and every play that that's out there because um, you know, artists spend a lot of time, these writers tend to spend a lot of time crafting these shows and, and they have a very unique voice. And so in, in our, in our organization, um, that's one of the things that we have no, we have no patience for. We have no, there's no room for that. Um, and so I would love to see that permeate through every aspect of this industry. You know, licensing companies, I think, have this, connotation of being licensing companies and you were just a real human that obviously cares so much about writers behind your company so thank you for that answer root for each other success of one brings the success of another thanks for doing this thanks to all of you for listening and we'll see you next time Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.